We'll still figure it out. <laughs> you you hesitated, and that made me almost hesitate too. I gotta stop following your lead, man. But hey, up armpits. This is bruh is a murder. <laughs> Are we all just flashing our armpits. <laughs> this, yeah, this is your go-to stop for audio armpit play. Welcome. My feet stink. We're starting off to a great start with this one. Uh, but hey, welcome. We give you true com cases of color, music, and we try to gross you out in the first 30 seconds if we can. Hey, some people are into armpits. Yeah, I'm not gonna kink shame yeah. anyone, Andre. I wouldn't do it publicly, no. But behind closed doors, <laughs> I'm a bitch. <laughs> 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 I am ruthless with my curtains closed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this week, we are talking about, well, last week we did Injustice Battle, you missed it. It was a fun time, wish you were there. This week we are doing, whoa, Justice. justice? I, I lost my, yeah, I lost my train of thought there for a second. <laughs> yeah, we're doing Justice. And I know that you said that you wanted to start off because you had a uh, a nice spiel. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I want to do it for next season too. Like, I still want to give cases every once in a while, but I think for topics that we have, I'd like to give background information and, like, why it's important that we're covering a specific topic, because I think it helps build what we're talking about, and then also, like I said, to be redundant, elaborate on the topic and why it's important. Big words from a smart man, I like that. Yeah. I know, right? Oh my gosh. Redundant, that's like three syllables. Yes. <laughs> and sorry for missing last week. But I'm not sorry. I had stuff to do. Oh my gosh, leave me alone. Yeah, he was busy AABing me. What is that? Always be berating. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally was. <laughs> Oops, sorry. Let me mute that. My bad. So, yeah, I'm done adulting for the week. Kind of. Because there's other. And are you done AABing me? Yes, I am. I called you and I was like, Andre. I know, I'm joking. <laughs> am I sensitive? And you're like, yes, you're very sensitive. But that's okay. Like Andre said, we are covering cases today that revolve around justice and finding justice for different cases. But before we actually talk about this and talk about the cases, I wanted to speak on why it's important that we cover it because... Speak on it. Yeah. Yes, yes right? So, okay, 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 everyone. I know I'm not going to be providing like a traditional case like I normally would provide. I, I wanted to I wanted to talk about the criminal justice system and people of color and different 
different systems in place that affect people of color. And the reason I want to go into justice system is the justice system is because oftentimes there's not much of it that is provided to communities of color, it being justice. But just in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been roughly 30,000 murders that have gone without an actual arrest. And nearly 19,000 of those were those of black victims, according to the Washington Post. So I get it, you know, we're all tired of hearing about like this, right? The same thing. Black people? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I get it. Some people are just like, oh my gosh, can we talk about something else? And it's like, no. Just because this isn't last summer anymore doesn't mean we need to stop talking about it. I mean, we're still in quarantine like last summer, so. Right? We're still in quarantine, so. But it's just, it's what I've recognized is that all the clout chasers from last year were posting with like social injustice, Black Lives Matter, and I quote, like, we need to do better. People were doing that. It's annoying because people have gone silent now. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, they got the clout that they wanted from it. They got the follows, whatever, and they're quiet. Get that hair, get that bread, then leave. And I hate it, dude, because it's, like, not as hype as it was before. Yeah. Well, and, and another thing that they talked about, like, during, like, the BLM protests is they had a ton of, like, influences, influencers that were, like, drawing attention away from actual, like, community organizers and, like, yeah. people who were on the ground actually doing work. Were like they were like blowing up the BLM hashtag so that like people who are actually using it to disseminate information couldn't actually use it. And it's crazy too because I feel like people are just sleeping on the issues now and we should probably be a little bit more proactive about what has gone on and what is going on. So while you don't have to post every little thing about what you do, I think it's important that if you're not posting about it, you're engaging with the communities to p- try to be a part, try to be a part of the solution, right? Right. Absolutely. We should at least yeah. try to be a part of the solution. So, I want to preface this with that I'm not mad at anyone for not posting or doing whatever. I'm just concerned, and I'm concerned because in the midst of everything that's happening, it's easy to be super ma- motivated to make an impact while things are happening. And the hard part is, is that we being consistent, the hard part is, is that being consistent with everything that is not currently going on, if that makes sense. So still trying to do things, even though things are not happening right this second. So essentially we have to be aware of our surroundings and aware with what's going on in our surroundings. So moving forward a little bit, we know how the criminal justice system is a little bit broken, right? Just a little bit, just a little broken. And that communities of color, specifically black and Latinos, are disproportionately targeted and punished more and punished more and it's a little bit more extreme when they're apprehended. And I'm not saying that punishment shouldn't happen. What I'm saying is that punishments should be consistent regardless of race. Or am I thinking, is that wrong for thinking that? But we've seen this. That that tracks. Yeah, okay, good. I I was was hoping that it did. 
but I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you didn't, you didn't lose me there. I'm, I'm, I'm okay, following. <laughs> but we've seen it time and time again with our cases that we've actually covered. For instance, we remember Centoya Brown, who was given life in prison at the age of 15 for murdering someone that was going to kill her, and that was pretty much a pedophile. Mm-hmm. But then a young Brooke Skyler Richardson who murdered her newborn daughter and tried to cremate her before burying her in the backyard and went to like the prom or whatever right after was acquitted at the age of 18. So the biggest differences was that Centoya was underage and tried as an adult where Brooke wasn't. Not only that, Centoya was given it like black. that benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and was 18, right? Yeah. She was of age at the yeah. time. And Centoya was black, is black and Brooke is white. So although Centoya was eventually acquitted or granted clemency, it took over 10 years for her to be let out where Richardson, it was like almost immediate relative because time, like when we're looking at time, it's all relative, right? So you could put two to two together, but whatever. But we could also look and talk about the prison population because we know that people of color are, according to AmericanProgress.org, significantly overrepresented in the U.S. prison population. What that means is that people of color make up more than 60% of the population behind bars, behind bars, while the Black and Latino population represent approximately 13 to 14% and 16 to 18% respectively. White people make up close to 70% of the population and only 39% of that of the of people incarcerated are white people. So that's the disproportion there. So you guessed it, minorities make up the majority in the prison system regardless if white people make up the majority of the population of the United States. It's really crazy if you think about it. But it's not only that, you have to think about, where this, it'll all tie in soon, but if you think about it, communities of color, like less money is being, being put into our communities. I've seen it firsthand. And for example, I currently live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And there are so many areas that have been gentrified so much that the cost of living, specifically renting, can be an upwards of $1,300 for a studio apartment mm-hmm. and $5,300 for a two-bedroom, two-bathroom apartment. I have the link below of the apartment complex that's charging that. So in Charlotte, there are a lot of historical, and I'm quoting historical districts, that had a lot of lower income housing at one time. But because of wanting to have more economic growth, they started to get rid of low income places to bring in these nice structures and facilities to appeal to more richer cultures. So when this happens, what does it do to communities that are poor? They get pushed out. Exactly. They get pushed out of the cities and it drives them away, not from affordable, not just affordable housing, but also drives them away from jobs and it drives them away from opportunities. So it's just this perpetuating cycle of once you're poor, you're going to stay poor. Yeah. And this is just an example of the area that I live in where the cost of living is so much 
much more cheaper to somewhere like California, but you're still you can still find apartment complexes that will charge fifty three hundred dollars a month. And you get if you don't believe me, just Google search apartments uptown North Carolina or up Charlotte, uptown North Carolina, whatever. Well, even out here, like whatever live, live in Jersey, a studio apartments like nine hundred bucks are the cheapest. And it's like not including utilities. Right. It's fucking stupid. So now we could talk about traffic stops, especially for people of color with with darker skin. And it's more likely that we are we would be God damn it. So in traffic stops, people of color, especially people with dark skin, are more likely to be searched relative to their white counterparts. And something that I learned, because I can only talk about my experiences, right? And what I learned at a young age is when I get pulled over, I have to roll all my windows down because it will make the cop feel more comfortable. Not me, but the cop feel more comfortable with like, okay, I can see inside of the car. Yeah, I have to concede. Yeah, I have to give up, you know, like me feeling like I have rights. But if I want to survive and I want to feel more safe, I just have to roll down the windows to make them feel safe as well. It's wild, right? But that's why I also keep my, uh, <laughs> I keep my patrol cap, my, my camera patrol cap, like right on my dashboard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I hang my uh, blue cord <laughs> on my mirrors too. Yeah. So they walk up, oh, you're in the military? I was like, yeah. And then they get all broy broy with you. So it's crazy. We have to make different decisions that I don't think like a lot of to accommodate are, them. Exactly. People have <laughs> yeah. to think about like people so don't, I don't think get about, murdered. Like, okay, yeah, let me do these little things. So if I am pulled over for whatever reason, it'll they be okay. Good. Yeah. So now, you know, we've talked about the justice system. We've talked about living. Um, we've talked about being pulled over. We could even look at academia and how there are a lot of injustices that happen in academia in a sense that when, a person of color gets in trouble in school. People of color are typically disciplined, again, more harsh and aren't given consistent discipline relative to their white counterparts. So I can go on and on about this, but at this point is what I'm getting getting to you is that it's something that is fundamentally wrong with how we do things in our society. And it's not just the U.S., it's actually the world because anti-blackness and anti-color is... It's colorism. It's it's worldwide. It's something that happens. And while I don't have a solution to the to this worldwide problem, I do have a solution to the micro level, so something smaller. So when I see something that is fundamentally wrong to inalienable human rights for all, I stop and say something. I don't pull out my phone and start recording because I know someone else is going to record. It's easier to record something than actually intervene because it's like, why the fuck? And that's am a I weird. That's a weird part of society that I'm seeing more and more too. It's more of just people like feel. I don't know if it's like a, you feel safer or more disconnected when you have your phone up, so you feel like you know it's not really happening to you. Yeah. Well, I, I also think it's, it's like part of the like the clout chasing and the like trying to have the video that goes viral, that kind of like mentality of you want to be the one that captures it, not the one standing up for the person. Yeah. You want that 15 minutes, right? And you shouldn't do that. But if they, if you are in a position to where you could intervene and you can see someone else, just say, Hey, can you pull your phone out and record and then intervene? Someone is going to be around. There are always people watching. So 
I like again, that's something that I do. I will stop and get myself involved, not by recording, but by taking action. But I will say, luckily for me, and maybe not luckily for me, at a young age, again, I learned code switching. So I learned this at a young age, and I think this is that's a lot of reason on it, it makes sense by the way I speak, right? Like, yeah, I, I feel like I at a young thing. age, I had to, like, I saw how people who look like me are treated just because of the way that they talk. So I learned how to talk differently. And this is just how I talk now. This is just me. Yeah. And then you, you go back to your old friends and be like, well, you talk white now. Yeah. It's like, well, I, my boss is white. <laughs> like, the school I go to is white. High school I went to is white. Kind of had to assimilate. <laughs> it's code switching. And that's what we had to learn. It's some, a survival tool that people of color had to start using to just be viewed as normal people. But what I'm getting at is that I sound this way so I don't seem threatening to white people. Like when people, I've heard white people tell me, before, oh, you don't sound black. Oh my gosh, you're black. What, what, what? <laughs> you are a black man. You know, but no, it, it's fucking crazy. So I know that in my position as a black man that speaks the way that I do, I can use my language to easily state a problem, why the problem is wrong, and state a solution when I see something that is completely fucked up. You know what I mean? So... Finally, while there are some cases that we have, while some of the cases that we have today involve justice, that's not always, I want to remind everyone, that's not always the case. Because a lot of times, there are very few people of color who actually receive some type of justice while they're alive. You know, a lot, a lot of things happen after we get murdered. After we get killed in the street. That's when I hashtag stuff. You know, yeah. It's not always immediate. It's not always while we're alive. Things happen after someone dies and then the fucking community goes into an uproar. So, again, while these are going to be a little bit better cases that we're covering, keep in mind, this isn't always the, this isn't always the case for us. This isn't always, like, you know, something good is coming out of it. Especially when we're alive. So, I hope you enjoy what Andre and Robert have to give you today. And I'm sorry, but not sorry that I don't have a case, a normal case for you, but thank you. But it'd be like, no, that was really good. That was, that was good. That was good. And we'll get right into my case of justice, which is, you know, a bittersweet case after this break. And we're back. So now, my case comes from the Innocence Project, which is a great organization that helps exonerate people who go to prison for a really long time for crimes they didn't commit. And majority of these cases happen to be also people of color who are getting shafted on these cases. So now my case is about uh, George Allen Jr. And before I get into like what happened and stuff, I'll just start with the crime itself, then go into like everything else. So now on the evening of February 4th, 1982, a young woman was discovered dead in her home by her living boyfriend who called police. The autopsy showed that the cause of death was multiple stab wounds to the victim's back and neck. And there was evidence of a sexual assault too. So now initially police suspected a non-sex offender, Kirk Eaton, whose brother resided in the victim's apartment building as one of the people, as someone who could have done it just because like, proximity 
and uh, the victim's boyfriend also like spotted, like pointed him out as a suspect early on. Now, on March 14th, 1982, by a chance encounter, police approached George Allen several blocks away from the victim's home and actually mistaken him for the person that they were trying to look for. They brought him into questioning and Detective Herbert Riley later realized the mistake, but still, after realizing the mistake, initiated an interrogation into Allen. Anyway. So the Allen, who has an extensive history of severe mental illnesses and hospitalizations for schizophrenia, among other things, eventually confessed to raping and murdering the victim. And I do want to highlight this as a bit more fucked up than usual, because we see a lot where police coerce someone into confessing for a crime they didn't commit. And a lot of times in those instances where we see that, the person they're having coerced to a crime has some sort of mental impairment or a disability like for example uh in making a murderer remember the, the guy's younger cousin mm-hmm. who's like mentally delayed and they co- talked him into confessing for a crime he didn't even commit it's a fucked up thing that happens and it's want to really point that out how that was fucked up so now ultimately Allen was convinced by dr riley that the police had invested uh had evidence against him so he thought that police legitimately had evidence against him connecting him to this crime which wasn't true they lied his uh protest of his innocence was futile and consequently the only alternative was a false confession so during the uh interrogation on the tape it's heard that alan told police that he's actually drunk like he's admitting that he's drunk and under the influence of this interrogation throughout the interrogation the detectives ask highly leading questions and prompted alan to give him answers to fit the crime so they're basically asking questions and they're telling a drunk man how to answer them while also telling him that they have evidence connected him to the crime. So of course, this is just the perfect storm for a false confession. So now onto the trial, prosecutors primary evidence at the trial was the confession and confession alone because that was really all they had. They also had a police lab analysis that was later proven to be false. The lab analysis testified that the semen was found on the carpet of the victim's body belonged to Allen when it is made that up. It wasn't his semen at all. He testified that the only antidotes recovered from the uh, semen fluid at the scene basically, basically just said that it matched up to him and he just falsified documents to prove the court. Uh, the victim's work colleague, Pamela uh, Richardson, spoke with her at her home by phone and also gave evidence that was like leading to putting into Allen being involved by just repeating hearsay that she was told to by the police and just filling in the blanks the police were like kind of leading her to. The police really just wanted to pin this on Allen because he was like the first person they ran into. So they were doing anything that they could to hone it in on him. So now, Allen's first trial was deadlocked between a 10 and 2 favor on acquittal. Allen presented an alibi in defense and three witnesses actually testified to cooperate with his alibi that he was actually at home drinking at the time of the murder. And at his second trial, he was convicted of capital murder, rape, sodomy, and first degree burglary and sentenced to 50 years in prison for capital murder and 15 years consecutively for each additional count. And... It wasn't until 
2013 when the Innocence Project finally got involved where he was able to be exonerated and he spent 30 years in prison for this crime that he didn't commit. And the way they exonerated him was simple. They just pulled up the semen DNA analysis that was falsified. And that showed that he didn't do it. So did the uh, cop go to prison? Not at all. Oh, <laughs> what a surprise! You mean the you mean you mean that you mean that cut a lot about everything? Did he get in trouble? No, he did not. I forgive you. Oh my god! It it kills. Like, how is that not a crime? Like, that is so much more evil than like so many crimes that like people get stood up for. Like. Planting drugs on someone, you should be able to get, like, twice the sentence of having drugs on you. Yeah. Like, make it such a punishment that a cop would never risk doing it. But it gets worse. It gets worse for me after this because he was exonerated in 2013, and he really couldn't enjoy the rest of his life as a free man because he died in 2016 outside of his home so he got out spent 30 years in prison and then three years later died and i feel like that's he got he got justice for getting his name cleared because like rape is one of the worst things rape and murder like two of the worst things you can have like put against you right and to have that be part of your name and like part of your family's name so yeah he got justice and being exonerated through the Innocence Project, but he didn't even... He had three years left to just kick around, and it's, it's not fair. Like you said, the fucking detectives who are all involved should be in trouble, at least, right. for falsifying information to put this man behind bars. Especially because there's a, a rapist and a murderer out there who wasn't Someone caught. Someone a history of it, yeah, who wasn't caught. Right. Yeah, it's... Make it make sense. That's all I have to say. Yeah, that's my uh, case about George Island. I was gonna say that that doesn't feel like justice, damn. <laughs> I said it was gonna be bittersweet, like yeah, there's yeah, justice, you're, but you're still, right, you're right. Well, and I am glad that his name was cleared. Like that is no small thing. The Innocence Project does incredible work. And you have to think too. Again, it goes back to what I said earlier. Like it takes time for like justice to actually happen, and like if they're not, if you don't die before, like anything comes you get justice yeah right like, well i mean even his family i'm sure you know were you know affected in the community as this like yeah black be mark on their name if... of you know your your son your cousin whoever it was committed this horrible act so like people will treat you and your family differently um, and then like like uh on our last episode robert we talked about how the victim's family how they were kind of happy that the person you know died in the Brandon Bernard case. It's like, even on this end, that family now got robbed of yeah. their justice. Everyone they thought, could just see my face and how disgusted I look. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, even his family who thought that the right person was behind bars, now they're like, well, shit, this poor dude right. spent time for a crime he didn't commit, and the person who did kill my loved one is still out there. Yeah, I'm sure they have a, an immense amount of guilt about uh, you know anything they did to further that sentence. Yeah, or anything to even say. Yeah, no, it's it's fucked up. Damn. And it's also happened in Missouri too, St. Louis. At that, Robert. So. Yeah. 
There's a, a lot of injustice <laughs> in St. Louis. Repping your city, hey. <laughs> it's bad. Close the workhouse. We'll, we'll get into that at a different time, but St. Louis, close the Still workhouse. Pretty- <laughs> um, but yeah, so now it's time for uh, Robert's Word of the <laughs> I feel like a, a, a pretty good number in a row now. Haven't been that weird. Um, so this one was actually... Yeah, has been interesting. <laughs> yeah. This one has been inspired by a, uh, a recent conversation I had with a friend whose mother just passed away, um, I think, uh, a little over two years ago now. As a result of the medical system in the United States, there is a, uh, an expression that doctors are to black women what cops are to black men, just to like kind of frame that topic. The racial and ethnic disparities in pregnancy-related deaths is really, really high. And the two biggest groups that are affected by that are uh, Black women and then American, Indian, Alaskan Native women. They are between three and four times as likely as white counterparts to die during pregnancy. And most pregnancy-related deaths are all preventable. Sometimes they're related to underlying conditions, but you know, medicine has come a long way and if the doctors involved with pregnancies of these women of color were, you know, on top of their shit like they are with their same white patients, they, you know, would be able to intervene or apply the correct medications, those sorts of things. Um, Give actual pain medicine when someone says they're in pain. <laughs> the small thing. Right. Or assuming someone's uh, like a junkie and shouldn't shouldn't get any pain medications um, while pain. they're, you know, just- you know. And it's the strangest, like, medical myths that, like, people were taught 60 years ago about, like, black women have thicker skin, so, like, you have to use thicker needles and, you know, crazy things like that that have been disproven and are no longer taught. But, you know, the 60, 70-year-old doctors who are in the hospitals, they know they're not up to date necessarily. Like, I'm sure they have to do continued education and, like, continue to get recertified. But, you know... So many of those courses are not a medical degree's worth of difficulty. But where does like how do we get justice back into this? Um, luckily, there are pushes in the United States to improve this disparity specifically with pregnant women. So the CDC, Center for Disease Control in the United States, um, has put up. Let's see, it was a uh, forty-five million dollars over the next five years. Uh, to support the work of organizations and hospitals for implicit standard protocols for in quality improvement initiatives, especially among facilities that are severely disproportionately affected communities. So this is like specific communities of color getting money into those hospitals to give them implicit bias training and to identify and address implicit bias in healthcare that would likely improve patient provider interactions. Uh, health communication and health outcomes because so much of like the medical field comes down to like your doctor listening to what's happening and then making an informed decision based on that and if they have if they're walking into that conversation thinking something about you based on your race they're not listening to you they're like hearing the pieces of information that confirm their bias and going in that direction Um, So just like we talk about like cops need implicit bias training if they're going to like effectively serve a community of color, doctors and hospitals have to do that even more so because, you know, they have the privilege of often they're not in a potentially dangerous situation with like, who knows, an armed criminal. You know, this is just, you know, a mother who's like in immense pain trying to give birth, like listen and like provide better care. 
So I'm glad the CDC is doing something to bring some money into communities of color and like get those doctors who I hope are like bio like are doing this accidentally. That's implicit bias that they don't know they're, you know, applying. A um, little bit of hope. This reminds me of that uh, case years ago. Ooh, what happened? I don't know. Battle just ran away and asked if you are you okay. Everything. Sorry. Yeah, I thought Melinda fell. There was like a loud crash, oh, and you know, like okay, she's hella pregnant, and like, yeah. I'm so sorry for interrupting. It scared me. No, no, no. That's important. Gosh, my heart is like beating so fast. Like it was loud, and it was like up here. Like I felt it, like up here. No, she just slammed the door. No. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Their pregnancy strain. No. God damn, it scared the shit out of me. My like paranoid brain immediately went to, oh no, I just stress battle out about pregnancy, and now there's something wrong with Melinda. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cascade <laughs> right when you said pregnant like i just hear that loud crash i'm just like yeah. oh, fuck what's going on oh. i'm so that sorry reminds me of, i'm so sorry uh, no 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 that no. doctor what was the doctor years ago he used to like take the uteruses out of black women oh i, know, like, I know what you're talking about i don't know the doctor's name but the like medical there, experimentation on yeah it reminds me of, of that color. yeah it's, absolutely i mean and we talked about it before with the tuskegee experiments yeah like, uh, also the happened idea to Puerto that Rico. black bodies are disposable. It also happened in Puerto Rico, and they were just giving uh-huh. women a bunch of like faulty yep. birth control to see what would happen, and sterilize a whole generation. Um, and you know, just because the CDC like was throwing some money around, doesn't mean their work is over. Uh, and you know, you know, check out your local community. I'm sure there is community organizers who are working on this issue specifically. You know, it's pretty popular in every major city. Um, because we were talking about that earlier with battle of the justice and like how you can help and not growing complacent when things aren't in the news bad. Um, there are probably direct action organizations near you that, you know, even if you can't donate money, because I know everybody can't do that, um, you're just reblogging their posts. You know, I have a friend who, you know, delivers like uh, sanitation products to homeless women. Like in every week, they like try to get gather money for that. So it's easy for me to like you know retweet their stuff or like throw, throw it on my story because it's just a cash app link. Anybody can throw money into that, and if I can't do it this week, maybe somebody else can. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's the small it's, things. I think really it's being deliberate about wanting to do stuff. But I I, I recognize, I completely recognize that. Sometimes there could be a lot of like mental fatigue that comes with it. Yeah. And the way that I navigate through it is that my few moments of being mentally fatigued is nothing in comparison to the people that have to go through it on the day-to-day basis. And that's how I get through it sometimes. And that and I can only speak for myself. It's something that I recognize it's like, okay, yeah, I might feel uncomfortable for responding to something or like standing up for whatever, but my one action is nothing compared to, or my few moments of being uncomfortable or being in an awkward position is nothing compared to what people have to go through every single day. So mm-hmm. that's why I do it. Yeah. It's like, it's like being grateful for the little things, you know? Yeah. Well, and like, you know, me as a person who's like, you know, very light skin, very white passing. Like, if I ever had, like, a friend of mine who is, like, a person of color who didn't know where I stood, like, on these sorts of issues, I'd be heartbroken. 
Like, these are the kind of things that, like, actively, you know, I don't have to deal with the same level of stress that, like, you know, my black and brown friends do. So, you know, I have that extra bandwidth of stress to, like, argue with people on Facebook, repost things, like... Uh, I'm always here for that. Yeah. Right. We can get petty. Right. <laughs> and and I don't want you to feel, um, Robert, like, because you are, like, white passing because of your skin color, that there aren't... Um, you, you don't have a seat at the table. There, Like, you don't have... Exactly, because while I'm very dark my half of me is filipino and i know that my mom has been subjected people in my family who are filipino have been subject subjected in the last year to racism because mm-hmm. they're asian and because oh, the coronavirus Wait, we talked about that last episode too mm-hmm. yeah i wish i was there for that i'm so sorry like but like my mom has called me and was just like someone was yelling out their car window saying go back to China like the coronavirus like it's your mm-hmm. fault and so like that I'm just like what the fuck is wrong with people are you kidding right. me so like I, I don't ever want you to feel Robert that you because like you're fair skin like you don't fall into the ca- category you're still invited to the cookout the person worry. of color well like, I mean you- I, I love that I love you and I appreciate you for saying that um, I when I like think of like racial justice and things in the United States that need the most attention right now, it's like it's black issues and brown issues, and like while I, you know, obviously we were advocating for like protection of like my Asian American brethren last week, like, and I will continue to do that. Like we re- we have to like speak the truth to power that like black and brown people experience like a specific degree of like evil in our culture that we have to like actively fight. And I appreciate rah, rah. That, dude. I love you too. Oh my gosh, this is so much nice. This is so nice. Andre, you are yeah. the fucking fields. No, I'm kidding. I love you too. <laughs> I love you, Andre. <laughs> 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 but hey, I, the episode's winding down. I think we're, we're almost hitting our time. So <laughs> what do I have to say? Mm-hmm. Hey, nothing. Do you have anything to plug? Um, I'm good. Watch it out for the videos on social media. Enjoy the music. Battle, do you have anything to plug? I just want to, if people that are listening, if you can give me feedback on what you think about our next season, if I take a step back from having cases all the time, and if you would all be comfortable with hearing Battle talk about the, the bigger picture, the high-level the high level view on why we chose the cases that were or the topics of the cases that we're choosing um i would really love feedback and let me know that wasn't my dog what a fucking bitch but let me know <laughs> literally <laughs> let me know if that is something that you would like to hear next season because I, I think as we're progressing forward and we're growing as a podcast um we can start doing different things but also still provide great content that we provide so please give me feedback in the comments or dm us yeah and that's we're always here on the gram but yeah uh goodbye kisses from the homies enjoy this music bye bye good episode
Oh, <laughs> 